You are now listening to the Griot's Black Podcast Network, Black Culture Amplified. I'm Torre. Star Stories is brought to you by the Grio Black Podcast Network, home of the Blackest Questions with Dr. Chrissy Greer and Dear Culture with Panama Jackson. This episode of Star Stories is about Snoop Dogg. The year is 2006 and Snoop Dogg is one of America's biggest stars. Respected by gangsters and all those who love them and beloved by suburban moms because he seems cute, cuddly, and charismatic. Part of that mainstream love comes from him seeming like a nice guy and a fun weed head and a family man. When I got to spend a day with Snoop, I saw the family man and the other side of Snoop too. Back when I was writing about rappers for magazines, the phone would ring and sometimes they'd say, go to Trump Tower and interview Jay-Z or get on a plane and go to Cannes and interview Beyonce or fly to LA and hang out with DMX. This is about my day with Snoop Dogg, AKA rappers get midlife crises like all middle-aged men, but they handle it way differently. So bust it. I'm in sunny Pomona, California on a big green field watching a football team practice in full pads even though the players are like nine and 10 years old. It's the cutest thing ever. Snoop was then the head coach of the Pomona Steelers in the Snoop Youth Football League, and he was serious about all this. He talked to his players about the minutia of technique, about tactics, everything. He started the Snoop Youth Football League a year earlier to give 2,000 kids the opportunity to play football in a league made just for them. It was also a chance for Snoop to hang out with his kids. Both of his sons were in the football league and his youngest, his daughter, was a cheerleader. Now Snoop treated all the kids on his team like they were his. He was encouraging and loving and gentle and sweet. Out on that field, he seemed like the ultimate suburban family man in the community, working with the kids and having a great time. Snoop told me he loves these kids so much, he stopped smoking weed during their season so he wouldn't smell funny when he showed up at practice. Now that's what I call putting family first. After football practice, Snoop drove up the freeway in his two-seat Porsche Carrera, doing 90 while steering with his knees because he was using his hands to roll a blunt as he was driving. Yes, I was nervous. He was speeding while steering with his knees. He never missed a turn, but still. Then he pulled up to his home, a two-level ranch house with a white fence that screamed family man. The exterior was giving heavy Brady Bunch vibes. Nothing about it said rap star lives here. It was super family man home. And then we went inside and we walked past the living room, which had once belonged to Snoop, but he had somehow lost the room to his kids. They outnumbered him and he begrudgingly accepted the defeat. He sighed as he looked into the room and saw the kids all over the couch and said, this used to be mine. In that moment, he seemed like so many middle-aged dads who compromise with their kids because they're good dads. But because he's Snoop, there's more in the backyard. There's a man-sized wooden doghouse, like a man-cave playhouse. It had one room, and in that one room was one TV, smaller than the one in the living room, and one couch, also smaller than the one in the living room just big enough to seat two grown men. So 
me and Snoop sat knee to knee watching the TV, and we watched footage of the little football team that they were going to play next week. He had already hyper-analyzed their star running back's tendencies and was now breaking down the child's football style to me in detail that would have made Bill Belichick think about hiring Snoop to coach defense. I mean, we're sitting there talking about the intricacies of peewee football. It was beautiful. His love for football and for his kids was intertwined in this thing. We were in peak family man vibe. There was one thing in that room that kept calling out to me. There was only one image on the walls and it sat right over the couch, a large framed photograph of Snoop at a party in a mink beside Diddy in a mink. And in the middle of the two of them was another man in a mink. He was much shorter and much older than them, but devilishly stylish. The photo seemed important. It was in the room in a space of reverence above the couch, but I didn't know why. I vibed that to Snoop, the other man was the star of the photo, but who was he? I said to Snoop, who's the other guy? Snoop said, that's my father-in-law. In the 70s, he was one of the biggest pimps in Long Beach. Oh, I started to understand, but not really. He was family with a major pimp. And while lots of rappers talked about pimping as a sort of analogy, now I'm saying, was Snoop not being symbolic when he talked about pimping? I recalled a rather bizarre moment from a few years earlier where Snoop showed up to an award show with two women on leashes. Of course, he was holding the handle. And at the time, I thought they were actresses just playing along, creating award show hype. But now I'm like, wait a minute, what? So I asked him, what was that? And he said, oh, I was just flexing my pimp muscle and letting people see how real pimps do it. It really was pimping. He said, it really was pimping with so much feeling that I couldn't help but think he was saying that he was then a professional pimp. So I asked him and he said, yeah. For about two years in the early 2000s, from about 2002 until 2004, he was a professional pimp. He said, I wouldn't even say a real pimp. I'd just say I had it like that. At that point, I didn't even know what to ask. So I just sat back and listened to his story. Now, a word from our sponsors. Thank you for listening to Star Stories with Teray. If you like the show, you'll love the animated version of this series. Watch the adult cartoon series Star Stories with Teray at thegrio.com or the Grio Black Podcast Network's YouTube channel. You'll find the video links in the description section of this episode. He said, I wouldn't even say a real pimp. I'd just say I had it like that. At that point, I didn't even know what to ask. So I just sat back and listened to his story. He said, see... Pimping was my natural calling, and once I got involved with it, it became fun. It was like shooting layups for me. I was making them every time, because pimping ain't a job. It's a sport. I had a girl on every exit from the 10 freeway to the 101 freeway, because they would recruit for me. That's pimping. He said, I wasn't a gorilla pimp where I was beating the girls up. Never laid a hand on them. I was more finesse with it. 
just giving them a comfort zone and providing them with opportunity. A little later, Snoop met the Bishop Don Magic Wan, a pimp in Chicago for more than three decades. They became friends and the Bishop led Snoop even deeper into the world of pimping. He was still out cripping sometimes. Snoop said, I'm not going to say I was putting in work, but I was into a lot of stupid gangbang stuff. I would go do stuff. This is at a time when he was already a very well-known rapper and actor. But then Snoop said, Bishop would say, let's go get your hair did. Let's go to the player's ball. Let's go to Chicago to do this pimp thing. Stuff that I had never seen before. Getting into all that may have saved my life. Not long before I did this interview with Snoop, I had gotten married. So while I was there in the clubhouse with Snoop, I did think, how is it your wife accepted this? Because I knew my wife would be extremely upset if I came home and told her stories about my day pimping girls. Snoop said at first his wife tolerated it. He said she was used to the life because of her father. But he said she wasn't accepting. She was just looking the other way because I never did it in her face. I was never bringing the girls to the house. But at some point, she stopped looking the other way. And in early 2004, they filed for divorce. That's when Snoop went heavy into the pimp life. He said, I was going to all the players' balls. He took 12 with him to a players' ball that year. And then weeks later, at a ball in Detroit, Snoop won the Bishop Don Magic Wand Lifetime Achievement Award. But a few months after filing for divorce, some of Snoop's pimp friends told him, yo, the party's over. Go back home to your wife. And he did. And they reconciled. And in late 2004, the divorce proceedings ended. They stayed married. But after that, their marriage was never quite the same, he said. Snoop said, before all that, I would never listen to her. It was like everything I say is the law. But on the comeback, I'm more of an ear instead of a mouth. Sometimes it irritates me to hear her talk to me like that. But when the relationship is right, that's the way it's supposed to feel. Snoop says he was far from a perfect husband, but he left Pimpin' behind because he cared about his family and didn't want to lose them. It's one thing to go to the circus for a day, but the man who would run away from his family to join the circus, that man's crazy. Snoop put it like this, if you dream of riding the Colossus at Magic Mountain and you get a chance to ride it, you gonna get on it. And I did that and I needed to do it, but I love my family and I'm into this now. From the looks of things, family is what Snoop will be all about for a long time. This podcast was written and produced by me, Torre, with additional production by Sam Riddell and Albert Parnell, and executive production from Virginia Griffin. Star Stories is brought to you by the Grio Black Podcast Network, home of the Grio Daily with Michael Harriet and Writing Black with Maisha Kai. If you like this Star Stories episode, check out the one on Kanye. And check out my audio documentary, Being Black, the 80s. Each episode focuses on a song that defined the decade and critical issues facing black people. It's the funkiest history class you'll ever take. Thanks for listening. I'm Torre. I'm political scientist, author, and professor, Dr. Christina Greer, and I'm host of The Blackest Questions on the Griot's Black Podcast Network. 
This person invented ranch dressing around 1950. Who are they? I have no idea. This all began as an exclusive Black History trivia party at my home in Harlem with family and friends. And they got so popular, it seemed only right to share the fun with our griot listeners. Each week, we invite a familiar face on the podcast to play. What was the name of the person who was an enslaved chief cook for George Washington and later ran away to freedom? No, th this is why I like doing stuff with you because I leave educated. I was not taught this in Alabama public schools. Question yeah. number three, you ready? Yes, let me okay. try to redeem myself. How did we go from Kwanzaa to like these obscure... Sport, darling. This is sport. like the New York Times crossword from a Monday to a Saturday. Right or wrong, because all we care about is the journey and having some fun while we do it. I'm excited and also a little nervous. Oh, listen, no need to be nervous. And as I tell all of my guests, this is an opportunity for us to educate ourselves because Black history that. is American history. Latoya Cantrell? That's right, Mayor okay. Latoya Cantrell. Hercules Posey. Mm. Born in 1754, and he was a member of the Mount Vernon slave community widely admired for his culinary skills. I'm going to guess Afropunk. Close. It's okay. Afro Nation. So last year, according to my research, it's Samuel Wilson, a.k.a. Falcon. Wrong. <laughs> Wrong. I, I, am, I am disputing this. I just don't know nothing today. It's I'm going to pour myself a little water while you tell me the answer. The answer is Seneca Village which began in 1825 with the purchase of land by a trustee of the AME Zion Church. So give us a follow, subscribe, and join us on The Blackest Questions.